Section 17 of the Stone Axe of Berkamuk. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Stone Axe of Berkamuk by Mary Grant Bruce. The Daughters of Wonkawalla, Part 2. With their bags filled with gum, they went on, and one evening they camped among a grove of banskia trees near a pool of quiet water. It was not very good water to drink, but the Wapia girls showed the five sisters how to suck it up through banksia cones, which drained out the impurities and gave it a very pleasant taste. They were tired and lay down early. In the night, a great wind sprang up, and with it came a curious booming noise. It woke the daughters of Wonkawalla, and they sat up in alarm. Kai, that must be a huge bittern, said Pika. It is not like a bittern, Yilin said. I have never heard any sound like it. Perhaps it is the bunyip, of whom our mother used to tell us when we were little, a terrible beast who lives in swamps, and whose voice fills every one with terror. The Wapia girls woke up, and they also listened. Then they laughed among themselves, but they did not let the sisters see that they were laughing. They seemed to think little of the noise. It is only the wind howling, they said. Lie down and sleep, you five inlanders. What do you mean by that? demanded Yulin. But the Wapia girls only giggled again and lay down, declaring that no bunyip was going to spoil their sleep and as they were so cheerful, the sisters came to the conclusion that they might as well do the same. When they awoke, it was day, and the booming was still going on, and the wind felt fresh and wet. The Wapia girls were already up, and they greeted them with laughter. We have a surprise for you, said they. Shut your eyes and let us lead you. The sisters did so and felt themselves led forward. Presently the earth became soft and yielding under their feet and they cried out in alarm, but the others laughed again and said, Never mind, you are quite safe. In a moment more they said, Now, open your eyes. The sisters did so, and lo, they stood before a great sheet of water with high, tumbling waves. Blue and sparkling was the water, and the big waves came rolling in, gathering themselves up slowly, with their tops a mass of foam, which slowly rose and curled over it until it plunged down crashing in a smother of breaking bubbles. The daughters of Wonkawalla had never seen anything like it before, and they gasped in amazement. Kai, what a river, they cried. Where is the other side? The Wapia girls shouted with laughter. The other side, they gasped, when they could speak. Why, there is no other side. This is the sea, and it is the end of all things. Have you never heard of it? Is that the sea? the five sisters stared. We have heard stories of it from the old men and women, but we never imagined that it was like this. No one could imagine it without seeing it. Have you known it before? Oh, yes, we have often camped here with our tribe. Come nearer. They took the sisters down to the edge of the water, and presently a great wave rolled in, broke in a thunderous roar, and came dashing up the sand. The sisters stared at it in amazed admiration at first, and then, as it came nearer, fear fell upon them, and they screamed and turned to fly. They ran as fast as they could in the yielding sand, but the wave came faster, and the water caught them, 
at first round their ankles and then swiftly mounting to their knees then it went back and the sisters thought that they were slipping back with it and screamed louder than ever the wapia girls themselves weak with laughter caught hold of them the sea screamed the sisters the sea is carrying us away the others led them up on higher sand and laughed at them until they began to laugh at themselves never before have i seen water that runs backwards and forwards as though a great giant were shaking it in a bowl said yilin we are sorry to have been afraid but it is all very peculiar and unexpected are you sure it is not magic i do not think any one can be sure of that about the sea said Mulong. it is strange water and indeed i often think that it is a very great magic indeed but if it is it is a good magic and we are not afraid of it and this queer yellow earth that slips away under the feet is that magic too oh the sand perhaps it is who knows but it will not hurt you come on let us bathe in the sea for that is one of the most beautiful things in the world the daughters of wonkawala hung back at first for they were very doubtful of trusting themselves to the magic water but the others laughed and persuaded them and they ventured in paddling at first until they became used to the rushing breakers but soon they gained confidence and before long not even the wapia girls were bolder than they and they would dive into a breaker and be carried on its curling top laughing and playing like so many mermaids so that the wapia girls soon lost any feeling of superiority and only regained it once when pika feeling thirsty scooped up some of the passing wave in her cupped hands and took a deep draught for the next two minutes pika was coughing and spluttering and spitting while the other girls yelled with laughter that is certainly very bad magic said pika angrily when she could speak what has made the water turn bad that set the wapia girls off into fresh peals of mirth and it was some time before they could explain that the water was always salt pika was annoyed but presently she laughed too oh well if that is the worst of its magic there is not much to grumble at she said come on girls let us dive into this next one and the next moment pika's merry black face was half hidden in the flying spray as the breaker bore her ashore they stayed by the sea for some days for the inland girls were too fascinated to leave it and when they were not bathing in it they were wandering along the shore wildly excited over finding shells and seaweed and all the other treasures of the sands then one day a great black cloud came up obscuring all the sky and instead of being sparkling blue and silver the water turned into a dull grey and looked dead and oily the other girls were afraid of it and would not go into the cold dark breakers but yilin who loved bathing more than any of them would not be persuaded and plunged in for a swim she did not stay long for the water felt more and more uncomfortable each moment so she let a big sullen breaker carry her in and wading out ran up the beach to the other girls they started back when they saw her looking at her with amazement and fear what have you done to yourself cried nula i nothing what are you looking at nula pointed a shaking forefinger at her body and looking down yilin uttered a bewildered cry no longer was she smooth-skinned and black her body and legs were thickly covered with shining scales so that she gleamed like silver it is the water she stammered it must be does it feel pleasant inquired nula 
It looks quite beautiful." " I do not feel anything at all," Yillin answered. " But it certainly does look well." She gazed at her shining self with interest, and turned round so that the others might see if her back were similarly ornamented. It was, and the other girls grew a little jealous. " Jump in and see if the Magic will come upon you too," cried Yillin. They did not lose a moment. Flinging their fur aprons from them, they rushed down the beach and plunged into the dark waves. And lo ! when they emerged, they too were covered with silver scales. They stood together on the sand, a shining company. " Let us walk along the shore and see what else will befall us," said Yillin. They gathered up their property and set off eastwards again. The shore curved out after a time, forming a rocky cape. They rounded this, and found themselves on the coast of a little bay, around which they hurried, anxious to explore some great rocks at the farther point. But when they reached them they found their way barred. The rocks were a solid wall, with a great black cliff that rose sheer from the water, running far out beyond even the farthest line of the breakers. Nowhere was there any way of advancing. The bay was ringed with the dark, smooth cliffs. The little dog, Dulderana, whimpered as if in fear. " Let us go back," said the Wapiya girls. " This is not a good place." For a moment the daughters of Wonkawala were inclined to agree. Then there came to them suddenly the vision of their father, who had said, " Go to the east," and they knew they must obey. " We are not afraid," they said. " Go you back, if you wish." " We do not wish to leave you," the Wapiyas said sadly. " Nor do we wish to lose you, for we have loved you very much," said the sisters. " But we must go forward. Will you not come ?" The Wapiya girls shook their heads. " No," they said. " Something tells us that we must return and never see you more. But we will always watch for you, and perhaps one day we may hear you coming, singing our old songs, and we will run to meet you." They embraced each other, weeping, and slowly the Wapiya girls went back until the rocky promontory hid them from sight. Then Yillin dashed her tears away. " Come, my sisters," she cried. They took hands and danced together towards the wall of rock that loomed before them, black, unbroken, forbidding. Yillin was at the end, and as she reached the rock she raised her wona, or digging stick, and struck the rock. It split open, and they danced through the cleft. Before them was no more the sea, but a green country dotted with trees and covered with thick grass. A little way from them was a low mound, towards which they danced. As they drew near, they saw that someone was sitting on it, a very old man whose silver beard swept below his feet. He sat motionless, save that his hands were always busy, pulling the long silver hairs from his beard and twisting them into a cord. " It is the old man we met long ago," whispered the sisters. Somehow the fear that they had felt when they met him with the Wapiya girls was upon them no longer, and the little dog Dulderana, who had fled from him howling, now ran up to him gaily, frisking round him. The old man put out his hand and fondled him, and Dulderana snuggled against him. Then, nestling down with his head on his forepaws, he looked at Yillin as if to say, This is my master. Yillin understood the look in his eyes. Do you like him, master? she asked. We bring him to you as a gift. That is a good gift, said the old man, looking much pleased. And you are welcome, my children. I think that this time I have not met you too soon, 
Are you weary with all your wanderings ?" "No, we are never weary," said Yillin. "We have danced and hunted and bathed and sung, and we have forgotten all our sorrows. Our father, Wonkawala, bade us come east, and we obeyed him." " And so you found friends and happiness," said the old man. " Sit down and tell me of all that you have seen." They sat down in a semicircle before him, and, speaking one after another, they told him the story of their long journey. He heard them in silence, nodding now and then, and all the time his fingers moved ceaselessly, plaiting the silver hairs into a long cord. It lay in great shining coils at his feet. The little dog nestled beside him, and sometimes when he paused to adjust the fresh coil, his fingers rested for a moment on its head. He smiled at the sisters when they had finished their story. " It was indeed a great journey, and the sea has clothed you in silver so that you are more glorious than any chief's daughters have ever been before," he said. " And now comes the greatest adventure of all." He rose as he spoke, pointing to the sky. The sisters looked up and cried out in awe, for as they looked the clouds parted and they saw behind them Arawotya, who lives in the sky a great and gentle being whose face seemed to have light behind it. He looked down at them kindly and beckoned. Then he began to lower a long cord, made, like that of the old man, of plaited hair. It reached almost to the top of the mound where they stood. " You are to go up," said the old man. " You first, I last of all. But first we will send up the little dog, that you may see how safe it is." He took his silver cord and tied it round the body of Dulderana, then joining it to the magic cord from the sky. Then Arawotya pulled it up so gently that the little dog never seemed frightened, and he disappeared behind a cloud. Presently the cord came back again, and one after another the old man tied the girls with it, and Arawotya drew them up to himself. Yillin was the last of the sisters to go, but as she was being pulled up she cut her hand with the digging stick, and her pirha or food bowl fell. It was a very beautiful carved pirha, and because it had been her father's, Yillin was very sad. Even when Arawotya had gently received her, and untying the cord placed her by her sisters, she peered over the edge of the cloud, trying to see where it had fallen. The old man was being drawn up, and just as he reached the clouds, Yillin caught sight of her pirha lying on the mound. See, she whispered to Pika, my pirha, it lies below. I will just slide down the cord and get it, for it belonged to our father, Wonkawala. Arawotya will forgive me and pull me up again. She slid hurriedly down the cord and joyfully seized the bowl. But when she turned to climb up again, she uttered a cry of despair, for the cord was out of her reach. Arawotya had drawn it up. As she looked, it disappeared, and then the cloud masses swept together, blotting out everything above. She was alone. All that day and night Yilin lay on the bound, weeping and begging Arawotya to forgive her and take her up to her sisters. But all the clouds had gone, and there was only a clear blue sky, bright with moonlight and dotted with a million stars, and there was no sign of those whom she had lost. She gave herself up to despair. Yakai, she moaned, better that I had remained a slave in the camp of Wonkawala than have come to this lonely land to die. Towards morning, exhausted, she fell into a troubled sleep, and in her sleep her father came to her, and his face was grave and kind. 
Alas, my daughter, he said, you have lost your chance of happiness for the sake of a worthless Pirha. What, did you imagine that you would need a Pirha in the sky? No, but because it was yours, my father, she sobbed in her sleep. Wonkawala's face shone with a great light. Always you are my dear and faithful daughter, he said. Because of that, there is yet happiness for you. Go forward, and no matter what shall befall you, be of good courage. Then the vision faded, and after that yielding sleep was no longer troubled. She woke refreshed in the morning, and although she was lonely for her sisters, there was hope in her heart. She took her weapons and went forward. It was a quiet country. There seemed no men and women in it, nor even any animals, and even the birds were strange to her. She passed over a great rocky plain, making for a great line of trees that seemed to mark the windings of a creek, for she was very thirsty. She found it, a clear wide stream, and drank deeply. Then she wandered along its banks, and here at length there was a touch of home, for there were many crimson parrots in the trees, and the noise of their harsh crying to each other was as music to her ears. They had their mates, and to see them made her feel less lonely. She found some roots and berries which she ate, hoping they were good for food, and when night came she curled into a hollow under a rock and slept deeply, waking refreshed, eager to go on her way. Then for many days she wandered, following the course of the creek, for she was afraid to go far from water. She was a strange figure in her silvery scales. Whenever she caught sight of herself mirrored in the water as she bent to drink, it gave her a new throb of amazement. She was wandering along one day when a rustling in the bushes made her glance aside. To her surprise, a dog was looking at her, and she could see that it was a tame one. Yilin had always loved dogs, and she whistled to this one, trying to coax it to play with her. But the dog was suspicious and backed away from her, growling. Then it uttered a few short barks and raced off into the scrub. Two black hunters, who were ranging through the bush a little way off, stopped hearing the barking. My dog has started game of some kind, said one. He does not bark for nothing. Let us go and look, said the other. They turned aside in the direction of the sound, and presently came upon the dog, who bounded to his master and licked his hand. "'What have you been barking for?' demanded his master, patting him. The dog wagged his tail vigorously and ran a few paces into the bushes. "'I believe there is something in that direction,' the hunter said. "'We might as well go and see, Chakaroo. They moved noiselessly through the scrub, and presently Chakaroo caught his friend's arm. "'See, Wonga,' he whispered. There is a demon. Let us fly. Wonga looked and saw a strange, glittering figure standing by a tree. He was just as afraid as his friend, but he was also full of curiosity. It seems to be a woman demon, he whispered back. See, it has long hair, and the face is the face of a woman. He pondered, watching the strange apparition. And it carries weapons. Strange that a demon should go armed, Chakaroo. I should like to get hold of those weapons. They would be worth having in a fight. You may try if you like, but I have no fancy for fighting demons, said Chakaroo. I do not know that I have either, said Wonga. Perhaps, though, a woman demon would not be so terrible to fight. Look how she glitters when she moves. She would be a startling wife for a man to take home to his whirly, Chakaroo. 
Everyone to his fancy, returned his friend. Personally, I prefer mine black. You are used to yours, but I have none yet, said Wonga, laughing, for he was a cheerful youth. Come, I am going to get a nearer look at the demon. Are you afraid? Very much, but I suppose I had better come, said Chakaroo grumblingly. You are a mad-headed fellow, Wonga, and you will get into trouble if you do not take care. I only hope that this is not the sort of demon that the sorcerers tell us about, who can blast men to cinders with a wave of the hand. He followed his friend, and they crept through the bushes until they found a place where they could see the strange being more closely. In their excitement they had forgotten the dog, and suddenly it gave a loud bark. The shining figure turned sharply and ran towards them. Save yourself, uttered Chakaroo. It has seen us. They turned to run, but in crossing a clear space Chakaroo caught his foot in a trail of clematis and fell headlong, scattering his weapons. Wonga pulled himself up and raced back to help his friend. Before they could gather all the fallen spears, the strange being was upon them. Yilin was as astonished as the black hunters, and as afraid. But she had learned to defend herself, and so she flung her digging-stick at Wonga. It grazed his leg, and made him so angry that he forgot all about being afraid of this demon, and hurled his spears at her. But his fear returned when he saw them glance off her shining scales as though she were covered with glass, and then fall harmlessly to the ground. Chakaroo joined in the fight. But though the aim of both hunters was true, nothing seemed to pierce those magic scales. Moreover, the strange being, having lost her digging stick, picked up the fallen spears and flung them at their owners so rapidly that they thought themselves lucky in being able to dodge behind trees with whole skins. She is indeed a demon, gasped Shakaroo. She may be, but she is very like a woman, said Wonga, and I am not going home to tell the other warriors that a woman has stolen my spears, even if she does happen to be a demon. Besides, you know as well as I do that they will not believe us. Even your own wife will laugh at you and she will not believe. That is true enough, said Chakaroo gloomily. What are we to do? I will make you armour, said Wonga. Then we will go back, and when the demon throws the spears at you, they will stick in the armour, and I will rush in and secure them. I do not know that is much of a plan, but at least I have no better, said Chakaroo. Be quick, or the demon may come and find us unarmed. So Wonga broke off the young saplings, and lashed them round his friend with strips of twisted stringy bark fibre until nothing of him could be seen, and he had great difficulty in moving. Then, slowly and cautiously, they made their way back to the open space where they had fought. Yilin was standing wearily by a tree with the spears in her hand. She jumped round as they came, and while she flung spear after spear at Chakaroo, Wonga ran through the trees and came behind her. His foot struck against her own digging-stick, and he picked it up and rushed at her. The point caught in her shining scales, and ripped them up as though they were paper. They fell in tatters about her. Do not kill me, she cried. I am a chief's daughter. A chief's daughter, are you? said Wonga. Suddenly his angry face grew soft with pity. Why, I thought you were a demon, he said. And lo, you are only a poor, frightened little girl. So the wanderings of Yilin came to an end, and though she missed happiness with Arawotia in the sky, yet, as Wonkawalla had said in her vision, 
She found it elsewhere, for Wonga took her home and married her, and his tribe treated her with honour because she was the daughter of a mighty chief. And later on Wonga became the chief of his own tribe, and she helped him to rule it in wisdom. Very often she was lonely for her four sisters, especially for little Pika, whom she had loved best of all. But she comforted herself by thinking that they were happy with Arawatya in the sky, and that some day she would find them again. Then together they would go at the last to Punjel, maker of men, and join their father Wonkawala. There were five stars in the southern sky that she liked to watch, for she grew to believe that they were her sisters, and that the tiniest of the five was her little dog, Zaldarana. They are the stars of the Southern Cross, and it seemed to Yilin that they looked down on her and smiled. Otherwise Yilin was never lonely, for many children came to her and Wonga, and her whirly always seemed full of jolly black babies and wee lasses and lads. Yilin did not mind however many there were, especially as she did not have to worry about clothes for them. They grew into strong merry boys and girls who loved dancing and songs and laughter, just as she had always loved them. She used to tell them the story of her wanderings, and when she came to the part about the silver scales that had once covered her, they would pretend to hunt for them on her black skin, and would laugh very much because they could never find any. And Wonga would laugh too and say, Ah, well, many men find their wives demons after they have married them. So I was lucky with only thinking that of mine beforehand, and then finding I have made a mistake. End of section 17